Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mr. Morgan, and I am once again bringing you a bonus Pride-themed episode. Today, 25th of June, is the day that we celebrate Pride in Ireland. And what better way to mark this occasion than to release the episode where I had a brilliant conversation with Igraine Hackett-Cabrana, who is the host of What A Screen Podcast, and we talked all things queerness and horror. And Igraine is one of my absolutely favourite people in the world, is an amazing creator, person, woman, and yeah, we had another fantastic conversation, so I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation with Igraine. Hello, and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Meyer again, and this is going to be another bonus episode specifically talking about all things queer and all things horror because we are in the build up to Pride weekend and bringing out and bringing out Pride month. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Igraine Hackett Cantabrana, who is the host of the Water Screen podcast and is just has her fingers in many pies within the horror community <laughs> so you've been on the podcast before so welcome back so since you've been on it's been a while how has your exploration and journey within the horror community been since then uh thank you for having me back just to start off um yeah it's been interesting I can't even remember. when was the last time we spoke we were in lockdown still I think yeah definitely height of lockdown yeah much more depressing time of year (laughs) right so since then I guess I like you said I got deeper into the the many pies of film and horror um I went over to London and did a critics mentorship program with the BFI I have started doing um more constant things for like girls magazine moving pictures fangoria is a massive one that i'm also mm-hmm. regularly contributing to which is cool um yeah just living my best horror life i guess and it's it's amazing and just as like someone who's watched it from afar you know who jumped onto your own podcast when it was just finding its feet and seeing how far things have come for you as well it's really cool to see that so congratulations on everything that's worked out wonderfully and that's fantastic you're most welcome so as i said at the outset we're going to be talking all things queerness and horror and you mentioned two films that you specifically kind of wanted to talk about, one of them being What Keeps You Alive, which is directed by Colin Minahan, came out a few years ago. And then the other one was High Tension or Tenshong, which is Alexander Aja. And I think the What Keeps You Alive is going to be a perfect place to jump in, because one of the questions that I wrote down to kind of get your thinking of, which I think really links into this film, but usually societally queer phobia of all forms whether it's homophobia biphobia transphobia is so intricately linked to misogyny you almost can't separate it as in you can't have one without the other in a way they feed into each other and i wanted to know what you thought about when it comes to the horror films tropes of the monstrous feminine and the monstrous queer do you think they're equally inseparable as in they're almost two sides of the same coin 
I don't, I guess, yes, because when we look at the monstrous feminine historically, it's been through characters such as witches, um, women with power or femmes Mm -hmm. with power. And when we look at the monstrous fear and specifically the monstrous queer femme, again, it's this kind of witchy power almost Mm. that is kind of related to it. So I do believe that, yes, they kind of are intrinsically linked to a certain degree. Um, For me, when it comes to the monstrous female, um, I look a lot at um, sexuality. And of course, this relates back to the monstrous queer. And it's people that owe own their own sexuality and understand their own power when it comes to sexuality. And of course, not just through film, but historically talking in society and in culture, anyone who diverts themselves from this heteronormative, um, patriarchal view of sexuality and gender and bodily autonomy, they're Mm. always going to be villainized. And we see this a lot in horror. Yeah, no, amazing. I think I'm very much agree the same. I think they are so similar because, you know, typically misogyny is usually the hatred of anything that's not masculine and manly. And in the same sense, hatred of queerness is what's considered not manly or masculine in some variation or form. So I do think that they are so similar to each other, but also I think like a yin and yang, like they're different, but overlap. But I think that's why the film What Keeps You Alive, and that was one of the ones you brought to me to wanting to focus on, I think that film does a really good job of navigating both of those spaces Mm -hmm. because it both reinterprets the concept of what the monstrous queer can be while also commenting on the monstrous feminine. So I want to know why specifically do you want to focus on this film under the topic of queerness and horror? Um, well, I kind of, I came to you with this and my attention, I kind of mentioned martyrs as well. And mm. I kind of wanted to explore queerness and sexuality through an extreme horror lens, which, mm-hmm. well, I, despite the what keeps you alive is kind of the, the lighter end <laughs> of extreme horror when we're thinking about these three films. But the reason I straight away was like, I need to talk about what keeps you alive is it, a lot of the time when we're talking about queerness and horror, it's very much horror because of the queerness. Mm-hmm. Whereas what keeps you alive, it's queerness is just a character arc. It's just there. It just happens to be queer characters. And it's not, it doesn't demonize, it doesn't villainize any sort of queerness. It's not like this person's a bad person because they're queer or because they're questioning their sexuality or because Mm -hmm. they're scared of their own sexuality. It's literally like this person is a villain because they're a fucking psychopathic villain. (laughs) Like there's no two way about it. That's just who they are. It's not because they're gay. It's just because that's who they fucking are. Mm -hmm. And I loved that. I mean, originally, so this, when this film was written by Colin Minahan, or Minahan, however you pronounce his name, sorry, um, it was meant to be a heteronormative couple. 
but it mm. just turned out that he loved these two actors so much that he was just like, oh, who cares if it's a gay or a straight couple? Like, these are the best people for the job, but let's not center everything around this kind of, uh, what do they call it? Like, queer trauma. Mm-hmm. And there's lots of trauma in this film, but it's not <laughs> queer trauma. And that's why I love it. Exactly. And it's, it is just such a memorable film. And I think almost, and it's one of those, like, whether it's like, you know, George Romero talking about, you know, the making of Night of the Living Dead and the casting of Dwayne mm-hmm. Jones. Like, it's always one of those things where I'm just like, I never really, like, you know, know if I should be cynical and think, no, no, it was 100% planned and it just, you know, they're telling this story that it was the best actors that mm-hmm. got it. Or if it genuinely was that way, I could never tell which I prefer to think of um, yeah. because it changes the, the way a film is made. But specifically with with what keeps you alive, yes, I loved how it def- it just flipped that monstrous queer trope on its head. Because again, the characters just happened to be queer. It wasn't the centering of the story, the centering of the trauma, and it wasn't the reason for the horror. Mm-hmm. And just as a, a tangent and as an aside, in almost like the opposite way, I just finished watching the first two Sleepaway Camp films and. The first one, it's weird. Like, it's very much the horror at the very last pinnacle act of the film comes from the queerness. Like, that Mm. is the cause of horror. Or not even really queerness, but more just unexpected gender (laughs) alignments, (laughs) I think is the best way to phrase it. Um, And that is the seat of horror. That's the cause of horror in that film. But only at that point, the rest of the film, it doesn't fall into it. So it's really interesting that that film is actually really interesting. And I'll have to do another episode analyzing that. But I just thought it was a good way of highlighting the difference between the way films used to be. Yeah. As in queerness was the cause of horror. And I think I want to know what you think as well. But with What Keeps You Alive, what I enjoyed too was not only was it, you know, flipping the trope on its head, but it was also a queer story with femme characters because typically when we think of when we look to historical horror and queerness and horror a lot of the time it is gay men are the characters gay men are the focus of queerness and horror so it's unless it's the lesbian vampire trope which is kind of very different thing but other than lesbian vampires it tends to just be gay men that are on screen and i just want to know what you think about that do you think is that another reason why what keeps you alive is a standout because it does have a different type of character on screen yeah absolutely and it's like it has these two you know gay women in it you know they're married they're very gay and it's even when we've got queer women in horror it's very much like someone's questioning their sexuality or they fancy their best friend but they can't tell anybody or Mm -hmm. You know, it's this big secret and whatever, or they're the sexy, over-sexualized kind of Megan Fox character. For, I mean, yes. don't get me wrong, I love Jennifer's <laughs> body, but it's that over-sexualized bisexual woman character, mm-hmm. which is bad, which is fine. I do love a good, sexy bi woman. Be it on my What What Keeps You Alive does is just show 
what every queer couple is, which is just normal. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. normality, apart from one of them being a psychopathic (laughs) killer. Um, It's just pure normal. It's not like one's not overly sexy and one's, you know, the stereotypical butch or whatever. It's just a normal couple. And one of them just happens to be a serial killer. (laughs) Exactly. Uh yeah, it's it's just such a fantastic film. People who haven't watched it, you should go and watch it because it is worth watching. And I definitely think it's is just a good example of how you can do queer horror in a good way. And I think kind of jumping off from that, I'm wondering what your overall feeling is with when it comes to queerness being represented on film. Like I feel that there tends to be this kind of like constant back and forth debate about the characters or the depictions we should get should only be perfect, only experience joy. There should be no trauma. There you know, should be only happy experiences. Or on the other hand, as people know, we should have a complete spectrum of fleshed out authentic experiences, whether they're joyful or traumatic. And I want to know where you think when it comes to representation on screen for queerness, like where do you fall under that camp? It's so difficult because historically queer characters have always been the villains, whether it's in Disney or, you know, they've always been the villains and they've Mm -hmm. always been villainized because of their queerness. Um, And we do need better representation as queer people who are the heroes, who are the love interests, who are the the main character energy. We need all of that. However, I do agree that we also need well thought out, well fleshed out villains mm-hmm. who happen to be queer. And that is what I feel what keeps you alive does so well that it's like, all these characters are queer, there's a villain and there's a final girl-ish. Um, and that's really important because but I, I feel there's another subtext with what keeps you alive is that it's very good at depicting a toxic, uh, a violent, domestic abuse relationship within mm. the queer community of which there is. There is this domestic abuse and this violence in any sort of community, any sort of like relationship. There's always going to be the potential for someone Mm -hmm. to be an abuser. And I feel like this does it so well that it's not pointing the finger at the queer person being like, you're, you're evil, you're a villain. Um, It just says, this is a normal, this is just like a heteronormative relationship. It's just, Mm -hmm they can be just as miserable as heterosexual people can be. Um, And I feel like that's really important. Like the villain in this, Jackie slash Megan, she's an amazing villain because Mm -hmm. she's like, as I've said before, she's like, I'm an absolute unfeeling killer who likes having sex with women. And it's not gross in like, uh, you know, basic instincts, Sharon Mm. Stone sort of way it's just like this is what it is and this is who she is and when we look at that compared to something like high tension 
I feel I love high tension, I really do, but I do feel like it straddles that line between villainizing queer and just a queer villain. Interesting. And yeah, as I was kind of saying at the outset, I haven't seen high tension myself. And it's kind of like a interesting kind of tangent, like when you mentioned that you were gonna you you wanted to talk about it, and I've heard you mention it on your own podcast a few times as well. It's a film that's been on my list. Oh, I have to try and find this. And just as Maybe it's a criticism of our general age of streaming and media, but it is not accessible on any form of a streaming platform or even any of the renting platforms. Like the only way it's potentially accessible is pirating it or trying to find physical media. And then I think it just is a, it's an unfortunate reflection of where the state of our consumption of media is at the moment, as in, you know, technically, you know, we are in the age of the internet. Everything should be at the click of our fingers, but so many things aren't accessible unless you're not paying for it. And yeah. that's the problem. But anyway, that's just a tangent. But if you could um, talk a little bit about high tension and why you wanted to kind of go in, bring that one in as well. And you mentioned it's a good comparison to what keeps you alive. Yeah. So like I said, I love high tension. It's um, one of the forerunners for the French extremity movement. Um, it's disgusting, it's gross, and I fucking love it. Um, and I love that it's centered on a, a female villain mm. twist, spoiler warning. Um, and it so it centers on these two friends. Um, one of them is called Marie, and she is going with her friend Alex to stay at Alex's parents' house. And when they arrive, um, a serial killer apparently breaks in and kills her parents. And Marie has to try and uh, rescue Alex from this serial killer. Um, it turns out that Marie is having a disassociative uh, state. And mm. it turns out she is actually the serial killer who, because she has unrequited love for Alex, has decided she's going to go kill everybody kill her whole family and torture Alex. So we have this character who is queer um, and is in love with her best friend. I mean, like a lot of queer people go through, they they do, you know, when I know mm. when I was a teenager, I was in love with one of my friends and I, I didn't say it because obviously I lived in the back arse end of nowhere in Mayo, <laughs> so I would have been like burned at the stake for being queer. Um And so I understand that sort of feeling of feeling monstrous Mm. because you're queer and because you may be rejected by people that you love the most. But, but, big but, there is this question in high tension is, are you villainizing the queerness of Marie? You know, and there's even like the end where she's sent to like a... A psychiatric unit mm. and you're like oh it's just because of the history of how queer people were treated you're like yeah. uh is that the best ending like could you have, could you not have just killed her <laughs> unfortunately i know that's the ending for a lot of queer characters in film but it would have been so much better than having her go to a psychiatric unit because of the history of sending queer people to psychiatric units back in the olden days when being gay was thought of as a a mental illness. And yes, I think it just teeters on that edge of let's 
villainize the queer and make it a mental illness. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's and it's in like now when you're kind of saying that about like you know it has this character has the dissociative you know state of being and is the killer like is it villainizing or demonizing the queerness and I'll, I'll you know I haven't watched the film myself but it will be interesting to watch it and kind of compare because I suppose from like a very kind of analytical perspective you could almost say that technically aren't all like you know slashers whether it you know regardless of the gender of the killer isn't that in some way villainizing or demonizing that gender or that sex you know like as in you could phrase it in a certain way now typically because most slashers and horrors are made by men even if it's a man that's the killer they're doing it in such a way that it's this individual that's terrible it's not commenting on that individual's Mm -hmm. sexuality or gender as a whole which is annoying because it would be interesting to actually comment on it that way but um yeah i wonder like that was just a little tangent there, but um, I want to know, do you think there is a way for a film to straddle that line, like high tension, to actually have queerness be the root of the horror without it actually demonizing queerness or criticizing it? Do you think it's possible for that line to be straddled in a successful way? Okay. It depends. Um, so High Tension is written by Alexandra Aja, who is a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's written by another man. And I feel like because it is written from a male's, I, I don't know Alexandra Aja's uh, sexuality. Um, who, who knows? Um, I'm trying to look it up and I'm like is he married to anybody don't think so Um, but I'm going to assume that he is straight especially Mm -hmm. because it's done Piranha 3D I'm (laughs) going to assume straight Uh, (laughs) but I could be wrong but because it was written and and directed from the the standpoint of a male Mm -hmm. I do feel like it straddles the the negative part of that. It does villainize this queer. Whereas I think if it was done from a queer female or queer femmes um, sort of viewpoint, mm-hmm. it would, I think it would explore a lot more of this monstrous queer as the feelings inside this person rather than mm-hmm. being like, right, so this person's queer and they don't, they're not like it almost like he puts this queer female into like um a you know like one of those friend zoned fucking fedora mm. wearing yeah. heads. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what are they what do they call them? Incels, the kind of yes, yeah. yes. Incels, MRAs, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> Asha kind of puts Marie in this incel sort of character, you know, she's not her best friend doesn't reciprocate her feelings, so she's going to fucking kill him. And I just feel like if that had been written from a queer femme, queer female's perspective, it would have actually have looked at how her feelings towards her own queerness, especially if she's not out, how that would mm. have been monstrous rather than this self-like character. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And 
like I think actually one possible example of at least, you know, when you have queer people telling queer horror stories, the most, the recent Death Drop Gorgeous, like very kind of low budget, like kind of more kind of schlocky slasher type film. But it does like, you can tell it's coming from a queer perspective and it's a really interesting framing of that type of slasher story because it's made by queer people. And I loved it despite its low budget slockiness. So it was just, that's what I want from a low budget slocky slasher. Um, He also mentioned another French extremity film as well, which was Martyrs. Mm -hmm. And I want to know where that comes into it. And just overall, why you wanted to approach queerness and horror from a position of extremity and extreme horror, because I think that's an interest. I haven't really heard that approach done before. So I want to know where your mind was with that. Um, I think I don't I don't know I was just like when you came to me and you were like okay I want you to discuss queer horror I was like what am I most attracted to when it comes and it turned out it was extreme these three extreme films Mm. that are very bloody very violent very gory and the reason I kind of associated with that was because I think my own queer story was so obviously not actually bloody and gory but (laughs) like metaphorically very mm. bloody and gory and a mess and it was like I mean these films are very nihilistic mm-hmm. and I guess that's kind of how I felt about my sexuality that it was very nihilistic and it was very much like almost going to hell and back to fight these demons that were within me as well as how I felt that society took me as a bisexual woman. Mm-hmm. And I guess just, yeah, just that pure visceral feeling I kind of felt was really well represented through extreme horror. No, that's like really fascinating. And I really like that insight. And I think that like I'm literally nodding along because I'm like yes that makes so much sense Mm. as in like my I know I haven't dabbled as much into extreme horror as some people like you know it's something that I'm still kind of like you know tipping you know dipping my toes into the water with despite liking gory films and so that's a subgenre I don't have much experience with but that makes a lot of sense about and I think you know I can relate to that as well you know, again, not thankfully not physically, you know, bloody and violent, my experience with queerness, but again, metaphorically and emotionally, that, you know, feeling of if I were to step into the and acknowledge this part of me, it would, you know, lead to actual visceral pain or visceral mm. trauma, negative reactions and negative fallback mm. because, you know, societally and historically, any form of queerness is demonized and is villainized. Yeah. So you, that's all you have, you know, so yeah. that's all you can think of. Yeah. So yes, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I love that comparison. Yeah. Like, I, no, uh, love sounds like the wrong word, but I really, I think that's a perfect comparison. Yeah. Um, I guess it's that relation yeah. to trauma. Like you see these characters experiencing like the worst trauma ever. And you kind of, you really relate with that as a queer person. Um. Because a lot of the time your life is 
there is a lot of trauma in being a queer person, whether that's through what you see on the media, what you see happening in your own culture, the fact mm-hmm. that there has to be a referendum on whether you could marry the person you love or, you know, it's just, it's pure trauma, a lot of it. And you relate that back to the characters. I mean, not to the point where you're getting like skin flayed, but <laughs> you know you can relate a little bit just yeah just a little bit and like just actually like you're saying here with you know the trauma of just existing as a queer person just the simple fact that you know within Ireland over the last week everything that's been happening with the lifeline you know debates Mm. you know just literally as a trans person every day having to basically hear you know your right to exist as a person being debated (laughs) it is traumatic existing as a queer person yeah um and i think that's why we do find comfort in horror as a genre both because you know historically queer creatives couldn't put themselves on screen so they coded characters usually villains but at least you saw yourself in those characters yeah so i think that's why we you know queer people always relate to the monsters you know (laughs) relate to the you know the the demonized but specifically um with martyrs i want to know where that comes into it as well like i I've seen the, which I didn't realize at the time, but I've seen the American remake. <laughs> I haven't, actually, I know exactly. I haven't actually seen the original French one. And I, when I watched the remake, for some reason, I thought that was Mart. I didn't know that it was originally French. I'd never yeah. heard it being described as French extreme cinema. I just heard Martyrs. <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, oh, this is it. Perfect. And I was just like, like I watched it and I was like, it's not as gory or as like mean as i imagined it to be and now i know why because it's actually a remake of the original french one <laughs> but the original french one is which i imagine what you want to talk about yeah where does that come into your thinking of in, of linking extreme horror to queerness um well in the original martyrs we have um we've got two young women we've got uh lucy and then we've got anna and there is uh so there's a scene where lucy goes to um she basically kills this whole family in a home it's very bloody very gory Mm -hmm. and anna comes and she helps her clean up basically um and there's a scene where anna gets on the phone with her mother and her mother is like get away from Lucy she's bad for you she's perverse she leads you astray blah 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 blah. Um, and there's one point that um, Anna uh, kisses Lucy to try and make herself better so it's implied that they are queer mm. and it, it was just that point where um, Anna's mother is like you know, saying that Lucy is perverse and blah, 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 blah. And I guess that rings true a lot for people who get into queer relationships when their parents aren't completely accepting of them and Mm -hmm. they're called perverse and has led them astray and they're not really like this and blah, 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 blah. And that that really, like, spoke to me in, in queer language and the fact that Anna would go to basically the depths of hell for Lucy and she does and she does experience this and she yeah it's just it just seemed like a very pure queer love to me it's a weird love film martyrs 
if you want to call it a queer romance <laughs> a romance film interesting that's that's going to be that's now going to be my you know in my mind when I'm watching it for the first time going oh this is just a romance story it's very violent it but it's just a romance story that's going to be my approach now yeah um, yeah Perfect. I mean, I guess a, a lot of people have taken like this super, you know, philosophical, high faith view of martyrs. But my takeaway from it was like, this is just the love story that went horribly wrong for one of them. <laughs> that, that's that's the tie. That's the tagline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> brilliant. But no, I love that. Um, and kind of like stepping a bit away from the extremity um, horror but I was one of the questions that I wrote down and I think it's something that every queer horror fan probably has but I was just wondering like do you have like a memory of like you know the first kind of like time film ex- cinema film experience where you were struck with the feeling of oh this is queer like this film or these characters are queer like do you have a memory of that like either from being like you know a young horror fan or just more recently or something like that um not that I can really think of like the only time I've ever had a cinematic experience where I've been like oh I'm gay um was when I watched the first Tomb Raider and Angelina Jolie comes out in that silver um dive suit and I was like I'm gay I'm so gay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I fully believe she was queer. I was like, she's deaf, but that could have just been Angelina Jolie's uh, energy she brings to that character. I was like, Lara Croft's gay. Um, <laughs> um, but like, none that really sticks out in my mind. Mm. Um, I can't even think. No, that's the only like cinematic experience that I can on that honestly like sticks out in my memories. Was seeing Angelina Jolie come out of a in that yeah. Cinema. That, I can certainly understand that one. That makes sense. And it actually, it funnily actually leads into the next uh, more, I guess, tongue-in-cheek question. But it was just because, again, I think it's something that every queer person can relate to. But it probably is the same answer. But it was going to be, you know, do you have a clear recollection of, like, the first time you saw a character and, you know, you could not tell if you wanted to be them or if you wanted to be with them? Because I think that's definitely a very uniquely queer experience. Yes, it would have been... Angela Jolie in Tomb Raider, but it also would have been, um, this is, it's everyone's answer, but Willow from Buffy. Mm. Um, I didn't know whether I wanted to be her or be with her. Um, Possibly both. Um, Yeah, it would have been Willow. It would have been, is it Jane from Daria? Uh, Daria the cartoon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and there's a character called Jane, and I was very queer for that character, as I even though it's a cartoon. I guess everyone has that cartoon character they're ultimately gay for, and uh, it would have been Jane from Daria as well. So, yeah. Interesting. And, like, yeah, no, it's a, uh, I like the, you know, the Buffy reference as well, because mm-hmm. I think that, like, again, Odd, like oddly despite the fact that you know now in retrospect when you think you know Joss Whedon is a little bit of a problematic right? character yeah. so many queer people have so many positive experiences with Buffy like it just was one yeah. of those shows that just I don't know it exuded those type of qualities that queer yeah. people were just drawn to and it's a shame when you're just like oh Joss Whedon turned out to be a bit of a prop <laughs> I know it's so, because like I'm just thinking now and I'm like wow I was like 
I was so into all of the female characters because like I loved Faith as well. And mm. I loved Kendra, who was one of the other slayers. And I I yeah, I'm just and even like a vampire willow as well. She was hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Willow in the leather. Yep, I can definitely get behind that one as well for sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That and yeah, like and complete different direction now. But it was it's something that I'm I'm always like thinking of as a queer person who consumes horror. But I want to know what you want to see from queer horror going forward or where do you think is the possibilities for queer horror to go like is there anything particular that you want to see done in a horror film that is queer not per se done in a horror Mm. film but I want to see more queer people behind the scenes Mm -hmm. I want to see more queer stories written by queer people um more queer and trans people behind the camera doing the makeup, the screenwriting, the directing, the producer, like everything. Yeah. Um, because that way we have more authentic queer horror. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's about time. <laughs> 100%. And, you know, I definitely agree there as well. Like, I think whether, you know, whatever type of minority it is, whether it's queerness or black people or other, you know, people of color, you know, there's a difference between just having the character on screen, but the story has been crafted by people who are not of that minority mm. group or everything being crafted by people of that specific minority group, because I think you can always tell. And, mm. you know, like you're kind of saying with high tension, as in that film is written and directed by a man or by men, you know, mm. whereas if it had been queer fans that wrote and directed the film, it probably would have had a really more nuanced and interesting mm. perspective. And like, kind of like, I think it does kind of, in my like thinking, I'd say it would fall under, you know, the same topic of like, you know, more people behind the camera that should be telling the stories, but just as like a loose kind of tangent, like it's kind of linked with queerness, but just it seems like it's a really good time now for you know women in cinema like behind the camera their stories being told Mm -hmm. and I just do is there like actually and also slightly queerness as well but um the recent Irish film You Are Not My Mother Mm. had a queer storyline in that film as well and made by a woman as well Mm. so I just want to know like you know are there any standouts to you of women in cinema like are there any films or creators that you're just so excited to have seen been made and you want to see more made by certain people oh well like you mentioned you are not my mother um Kate Dolan is I just think I can't wait to see what else she brings to the table because that was an incredible um feature debut from her um yeah I need more from her I think that would be my main more you know like I'm always carrying the torch for Irish yeah. horror so uh, yeah I'd also like to see more from um Ashlyn Ashlyn Clark um, yes <laughs> so 
yeah i think just more of those like let let's have more i, I want to see some irish queer horror i think um yeah i think that yeah, sounds like, the, like that. the next natural progression mm-hmm. like you know a specific irish queer horror story that's what i would want yeah. to see as well and again there's you know so much potential because there is like a strong creative queer community in ireland that yeah. overlaps with the horror community so there's definitely strong potential for something like that to be done so yes i think yeah that's also what i'd be hopeful for because mm. with kate dolan and you are not my mother it shows that it we have potential to like make really good you know like you know proper horror films like because mm. i think like you know when it comes to irish horror it does feel like t- typically or traditionally like you know it's not considered like you know like there's that many standout examples or when you think you know some people think irish horror their first thought is like grabbers or something like Mm. that which isn't a terrible film but you know it's a different type of horror film whereas at least you know there's so much potential to make just good really and again i loathe this phrase but elevated horror (laughs) those type of horror you know horror Mm. films that are impactful in different ways but yes, I'm ex- that's mm. what I'd be hopeful for as well. Yeah. More queer Irish horror. And I'd love it to be linked to our folk stories as well. Like Ireland has such a strong folk femme history. Like mm-hmm. obviously we've got like the Morrigan and we've got Queen Maeve and we've even got like the Irish vampire legend Jared Durr. And it would just be great to see that come from a queer lens and that's what i need yep no i agree (laughs) (laughs) yeah either make it happen it's a need i I definitely agree there Mm. and i think as well just like when you're talking about like you know the potential for through a queer lens queer stories you know when you think about historically like you know the way gender was viewed in Irish society Mm. prior to British colonialism was completely different it looked Mm. differently you know and to the point that you know there was even you know like you know queer people have always been here but it wasn't in a like from what I know from my understandings of our ancient Irish history it wasn't even in like a you know queer people weren't demonized per se Mm. as they were post you know British colonialism so I think that could be interesting as well if you're talking Mm. about bringing in folklore and ancient history and stuff like that yeah there's so much potential to tell interesting stories and criticize British colonialism (laughs) 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 always (laughs) yeah (laughs) it isn't an Irish villain if you're not criticizing the British colonizing us um (laughs) But yeah, no, there's so much potential. And yeah, I think, yeah, it's just queerness and horror. Like it's it's a topic I'm always coming back to because I think in some ways you almost can't separate it. And like, I think particularly when you are a queer person, every horror film you consume is through a queer lens. You mm. can't separate your lived experience from your consumption of horror in the same way that a woman consuming horror comes from that specific perspective Mm. like everyone has their own lived experience you can't separate that from your you know engagement with media so it makes engaging with films really interesting and like when it comes to I'd love to see more and I guess what keeps you alive 
going back to that is a slight example of that but I'd love to see more films that comment on gender in a way like the original alien film does because Mm. of the fact that those characters were written genderless like none of those characters had Mm. gendered they were just written as the roles they fulfilled on the ship and I'm just Mm. like I think there's so much potential for queer films to be made where characters don't have gender of any way and it's just you know this person is a writer this you know whatever it is but gender doesn't come into the character's existence and I think Mm. there's so much potential there particularly from a horror perspective as well yeah I just want to know do you think that there's more ways to play in that playground when it comes to making queer horror definitely um ideally we'd live in a world where all films were like that that you know gender doesn't come into play and i mean apart from perhaps a few specific you know (laughs) if they're playing a specific character but it would be great if we could you know all have a romantic comedy cast and it could be whoever is right for the role when it comes Mm -hmm. to like gender i mean obviously i don't know it's such like a two-way thing because you're just like at the moment while we're in this you know trans people should be given trans roles you know it shouldn't be going to gobshites like jared leto um yeah and queer characters pretty much should be played you know queer stories should be told by queer people Mm. at the moment because they do not get these roles yeah ideally it'd be great if we lived in a world where everyone could play everyone and you know all genders could play all genders yeah but at the moment while roles for trans actors for queer actors for actors of color for indigenous actors who aren't getting these roles right now they're the ones that need to be in these specific roles um but yeah I think once these boundaries and once these uh, what do we call them what do yeah boundaries I guess like once these are all broken down then I think there's going to be so much freedom to explore so many other stories um but it's just getting to that point where these boundaries are broken down exactly and that's what <laughs> that's what we're going to try and do every, you know, mm. one day at a time is you know break down these societal structures you know mm. smash the patriarchy smash everything burn it all down yeah. burn capitalism down and yeah like there's so much potential for really interesting stories to be told once we're not confined to the ways we can tell stories Mm. but yes we're not there yet unfortunately um but yeah i think i think there's definitely a strong future for queerness and horror it feels like we are constantly moving forward like you know as in I don't think, you know, despite what certain uh, conservative politicians may want, I don't think we're going to get to a point where something like the Hayes Code is brought back in. Like, you know, I I feel that we're constantly moving forward with the type of stories we get to see on screen. And I don't know, I feel like at the moment we're on the precipice. Like, it feels like an exciting time to be a queer horror fan. I feel like Mm. we are just noticing more coming to the forefront. And yeah, like, I think that sounds like a kind of a good 
hopeful note to kind of end on a future of queer horror coming forward to us. So before I let you go, where can people find you on social medias and your work and stuff like that? And just maybe even just like a last note on what, I guess, horror itself means to you as a queer person. Um, so you can generally Twitter. Um, I'm mainly on, so that's at what underscore scream. And then you can listen to my podcast, What a Scream, on most podcasts podcast platforms um and what horror means to me as a queer person it is a safe refuge for like people that find themselves to be outcasts to be societally rejected to a certain point it's a place where you find solace in the monsters and in the freaks um and there always seems to be a welcome community in horror films amazing thank you so much and yes that's just a brilliant note to sound out on and listeners keep your ears for future episodes of the podcast as they are released